Well, this morning I want to talk to you about one of the things that is absolutely one of the most important things in your life. Amen. That it is something that, how many of y'all know that you, first of all, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And how many of y'all know that God will use things that really your, your spirit and your soul are kind of a bridge back and forth. Really, they're all connected. you understand that? The things that happen in your spirit can affect you, you in your soul. And first of all, just let me retouch this so we know that we're all on the same page. Remember, your spirit is that eternal part of you. Amen. The, the part that proceeded forth from God, that is the eternal, everlasting part of you. Your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, and your emotions. Okay? Your brain's not your mind. Your brain is the organ your mind operates through. Okay? And then you have a body. Well, you know, there's a lot, you can, stuff can bridge back and forth from your spirit to your soul, from your soul to your spirit. Amen. It can, there's, there's a sharing that goes on in between those. But you understand that um, things that you <clears throat> read, that you expose yourself to your soul, because that's your mind, right? You read and you comprehend through your mind, that that can affect your spirit. It can be good. You can, we can, can we read the Word of God? Can we read it or hear the Word of God? And we can, we can absorb that through our mind and it can produce spiritual results. Why? Because with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Right? You understand that word heart? It's talking about your soul. You believe, your soul, your mind, your will, your intellects. The, the word that the Bible uses to translate heart means your inner man, your innermost being. Amen? And so when we get that, there, there's things that go on in your mind that can affect you spiritually. There's things that are going on in your spirit that can affect you mentally. Amen? But you understand this, we want to talk about attitude this morning. And you've heard the cliches, you know, attitude determines altitude. And you know what? Some things have become cliche to the point that when you hear them, you go, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, attitude determines altitude, whatever. Yeah. And, but there's, that doesn't negate the fact that there's a lot of truth in that. <clears throat> I read a quote by uh, one minister that he said he was determined that 10% uh, that what, what happened to us in life 10% of it was at the actual events that took place in your life, and 90% of it was how you reacted to those events. Amen? And so you understand that your, your attitude, and I just want to give you the definition, first of all, and make sure to define the terms, make sure we know, all know what we're talking about. Attitude. Attitude is the manner, disposition, feeling, position, etc., with regard to a person or a thing. A tendency or orientation of the mind. Amen. In other words, your mind is orientated toward a certain slant. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You realize how many of y'all have met some people that, man, they were just born with the most, the most wonderful attitude of anybody you ever met in your life. Boy, they just had a, they, they just had a wonderful attitude. And it came just, it was easy and natural for them. Because what we're going to talk about, how many of y'all understand, we're talking about attitude has an orientation. And the two most common orientations that you talk about when you're talking about attitude is either someone is a what, an optimist or a pessimist, right? And, and so, having said that, how many of y'all have met someone that it just seemed like it was their natural inclination to be optimistic? Man, they, you know... That, you know, the, everything that happened, they couldn't help but see the good side of it. Okay? Praise God for those kind of people. Bless you. Bless you. Amen? This, you know, they say, bless us. Amen? How many of you have met other people that honestly, your disposition your and your attitude is to be pessimistic? 
And that's natural. And you understand sometimes, sometimes is it, you know, sometimes there is a, there's a biological factor. Okay? I've mentioned this before. How many of y'all know that science doesn't, contra- science doesn't, just because you believe the Bible doesn't mean you don't necessarily appreciate the value of scientific observation. Okay? But you understand that some pe- there are biological factors that, that will condition, that will affect people's attitudes. A lot of times, and we're going to talk about some of this stuff today, it is more, you, you've heard me say before in sociology, they say that the dance, the intricate dance between uh, nature versus nurture. Well, is it all your biological factors that determine that, or is there something that the way you were socialized, the environment that you grew up in, the, the collection of your past experiences that affect that? And, and you know, most scientists will say, you know, it's probably, uh, in, there's input from both, okay? It's not all one or the other. But you understand that we're talking about, like I said, there's some people that it just seems natural. They're optimistic. You know, happy-go-lucky, optimistic, everything always works out for me, blah, blah, blah. And they'll have a care in the world. Then you've got other people, and you understand there are, there's a full range. Okay, there's a full range. There's some that's the full range, everything is great, and everything's coming up rosy, amen. Then there's the other extreme, the extreme pessimism, where nothing ever works out for me, nothing ever goes right. Every time I try to, you know, uh, climb up out of the bucket, the other crabs pull me down. <laughs> You've heard that example. I just can't get ahead. And you understand this, that, that like I said, your, your, what your, your, your biologic factors and your upbringing. How many of y'all know that, that it can, y'all know what I mean by a default setting? Default setting. In other words, and I, I use this example a lot because I think all of us can relate to it. How many of y'all, you can come home and you can tell when the power's been off in your house? Because every clock in the house is blinking 12. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. You can tell there's been an interruption in the power. Well, what I'm saying is that some people, some people that, have, that, that aren't as fortunate to have, to have the sunshine and roses optimistic attitude come natural. And like I said, I, I think that all of us probably fit in there in between someplace. You understand that if it ta- if a person say a person has had you know their biologic predisposition is to be pessimistic, say that person has had you know all the factors that can contribute to shaping your attitude, um, your past experiences, the environment that you grew up in, uh, the group of peers that you associate with, your beliefs, all these different things that contribute to your attitude. If it's been, if there's been a point in your life, and you understand most of it takes place at an early age. Now, I, I will definitely get up on my soapbox and talk to you about this. I don't believe it's of all this stuff people talk about. My inner child, my inner child, my inner child. I can't quote the song. You could go look it up on YouTube. It's one I listened to a long time ago. It was by the Eagles called Get Over It. Amen. <laughs> and, he said, and one verse Don Henley says, I'd like to take your little inner child and whip his little backside get over it amen you understand that there is a time for grieving there is a time i mean the you understand grief is an emotion that god gives us to to deal with setbacks but back to the thing about attitude is that i read an article one time when pastor shine and i were doing children's ministry that said most people your core beliefs of what you believe are right and wrong most of the things that are the core components of your personality most of the time that will dictate your behavior for the rest of your life, that you have had the, that those are settled by age nine. Amen? And so you understand that that now, 
this is where I take my exception. I'm like, uh, don't you tell me that my socialization is stronger than the Word of God. Don't you tell me that the way I was raised, don't you tell me that things I did in the past, don't you tell me there's a single circumstance in my life that if I find God's Word on it, that I can put the Word to work on it and it'll change it. Amen? But we're looking at the reality here because you realize that, that back to that the example of the clock, the default setting blinking 12, Whenever there's an interruption in the power, it's blinking 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. Okay? But you understand this, that if your, if your disposition, your attitude is one of pessimism versus optimism, that it's easy to tell when you've been, when you've been broken away from your power supply. Because you understand what I'm saying? As a believer, we put, it, it requires putting forth effort every day. I mean, you realize that every day you, when you wake up, you've got a battle to fight. Your flesh and your, the natural inclinations of, your, of the human side of you is always going to want to do your, what the Bible calls your fleshly or your carnal nature. It's always going to want to do the stuff that's contrary to God. It's always going to... You know, if you're not a morning person, odds are you're not, you're not going to wake up in the morning and it just comes natural to you. I'm a morning person now. No, you're going, when you wake up, you know, your first thought might be, oh God, <laughs> is that time already? But you get up and you begin to, and your spirit, amen. The Bible says the strong spirit of a man will sustain him in his infirmity. And that word infirmity, it can't, you know, it, 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 it just means weakness. It doesn't even mean sickness. Any place in the Bible where you read that word infirmity, infirmity does not always imply sickness. It simply means weakness. And so when you wake up and you've got to make deliberate effort, I, you know, and this is the thing, if you get distracted, you know, you say, Say it's an area of your life, your attitude, and there's things in your attitude that God's spoken to you about, about you dealing with, and you're putting forth the effort to do that, and you're putting the Word to work. Guess what? When something comes up that... How many of y'all know what it, mean, what it means derailed? You get derailed. Something happens to interrupt the flow of power. Something happens that cuts you off from that... It, the energy that God, the, the power of the Spirit that God's given you to pursue, changing that, and then guess what? You're blinking 12. Blink, 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 12, 12, 12, 12. And, and, and it's obvious. Amen? And we all have to, we all have to combat that. You understand that, that just pessimism, let's just define that. Pessimism is an inclination to emphasize adverse aspects, conditions, and possibilities or to expect the worst possible outcome. I always tell people this, you need to believe God for the very best to come of any situation and then deal with anything less than that. You know what, this is the thing, well, you're just pumping people's hopes up and getting people's hopes up. No, you're exactly right, I am getting people's hopes up. Because you understand, the hope is an expectation. And I want to get your hopes up. I want you that when, whenever a situation arises in your life that you are convinced God's already spoken blessings over you. God's plan for you is victory no matter what the situation is. God's plan for you is that you're an overcomer. Why? Because you are His child. And God, how many of you all want to, to have children, want to see your children succeed and be, and be successful in everything they put their, their hand to in life that's good? Amen. And now if you want that, how much more do you think God wants that for you? How many of us as parents, we want to see our children and the potential and all the gifts and all the potential and everything that's in our children come to fruition, to see it come to be actualization, that it's released, and that they're walking in the blessing of every gift that God's placed in. God wants that for you more than anything. But you understand that despite His best efforts, sometimes 
that you could knock God in the head with what God wants to do. Amen? Some of you might have a hard time believing that. I'll tell you this. How many of y'all ever had children that you wanted your best to do what was best for them, but they just wouldn't cooperate with you? Huh? And some people go, well, you must not have been a very good parent. Really? Just sit around and hang on to your kids. Okay? Because you understand this, and, and we'll talk about this, we'll look at this in the Word, if you want to start judging somebody on how good a parent someone is solely based on the behavior of their children, solely based on that, then God wouldn't be a very good father, would He? Because He got some pretty crummy kids, don't He? Oh, come on now. Y'all ain't, I'm preaching now. Just because somebody's born again doesn't mean they got all their ducks in a row, doesn't mean they're perfect, and doesn't mean sometimes that they just don't stink. Amen. Am I talking too plain? Understand this. I want to finish this up by attitude. If you realize this, if your attitude stinks, your whole life stinks. You show me someone whose attitude stinks and your life stinks. It doesn't matter if you're barely living paycheck to paycheck or if you've got a million dollars in the bank. If your attitude stinks, your life stinks. Why? The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23 that your heart's where all the issues of life flow from. It says to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. King James verses, keep your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. I want to read you something real quick. Turn to Titus chapter 1 real quick. I had this note put, put later, but let's just turn there right now. First, Second Timothy, and then Titus. Why do, why do you want to guard your heart? Why do you want to guard your heart so much? And you realize when we're talking about guarding your heart, we're talking about you place restrictions... Remember, what I, remember when I first started talking, I talked about how that things that can get into your soul can get over into your spirit, and things that you can, but it works both ways, that the things you can get into your spirit, you can get it on over into your soul, over into your mind and your will and your, and your intellect. You understand that the reason you're to guard your heart, guard your heart with all diligence. Remember when we were teaching this to the kids over in Coffee County? I was teaching and I opened up and I presented the subject and Pastor Cheyenne came out wearing army fatigues and an army cap and had a plastic army gun in her hand come run through uh, the children's chapel and she jumped over top of something and rolled across the floor and she jumped up and I was like, what are you doing? And she had the gun. She goes, I, she, goes she pulled her jacket up and pulled out. She had a big uh, construction paper heart hanging around her neck on a string. And then she stuck it back in and she grabbed the gun. She goes, I'm guarding my heart. And the kids got a hold of that. You understand that you guard your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of life. Amen? If something gets in your heart that's good, what's the word say? Your word will I hide in my heart that I might not sin, miss the mark, disobey the word of the king against you. Right? Okay? You realize this? That can be something good, but if something bad gets in, uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 15. And I'm using this in reference, really, to pessimism. It says, uh, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. You understand that if, you, if, we, if we fail to guard our heart... I remember I was reading a story. I, think, I can't remember who it was telling us. That's irrelevant. But the story of this missionary that was in Africa... And he went to Africa to be a missionary. And this whole village of people, they were getting sick and people were dying. And they were trying to figure out what in the world is going on. People were getting diseased. They were getting sick and they were dying. And uh, this 
one of the people in the village, they went and they and someone got to noticing that everybody was fine until they started drinking the water out of the stream. And the stream ran down out. It was a spring that ran down out of the mountains. And so somebody got to write, well, I'm going to go up to the source, find the source of the water and find out what the problem is. And so they climbed the mountain, climbed up the hillside, hiked up into the hillside and followed that spring up the side of the mountain. And when they got up there, it was this huge spring. It just bubbled up out of the ground. It would pool up and then it would fill out and run down the side of the mountain. And when they got up there, they found out that this sow and her piglets had fell into that pool and drowned. And that their bodies were rotten and decaying and decomposing in that pool of water that that stream was flo- that that stream was flowing out of. And so everything downstream, when the villagers went to the, the stream to get water to drink, that you know, they couldn't look in the water and see the pollution visibly. But but how many of y'all know the germs and the bacteria and everything was there? And when they were drinking that water, it was poisoning all of them. And so what did they do? They went up and they pulled the carcasses of the animals out and they told everybody, said, look, you're going to have to either go without or find an alternative source of water for a few days. We've got to let all this impurity flush out and wash out so the water will be safe to drink again. You understand that, that your heart is that way. That if, there's, if the heart's defiled, what did, what, did Titus, what did Paul say here in Titus? He said, to the pure, all things are pure. To the person, and like I said, we're talking about attitude, so let's read it in this way. So if your attitude and is optimistic and you're, and you're making sure that things are good in your attitude and your outlook and your disposition toward things, and let's just say life in general, then guess what? Out of that attitude of your heart, because you understand attitudes are in the heart, right? Amen. Amen. That out of that attitude is going to flow good things, pure things. Amen. You know the Bible says, and I'm a pastor. You just got a pastor that is. I don't. I don't care about impressing you. I don't care if I impress you or not. I don't try to use big words to impress anybody. I'm not trying to put on a show and act like I've got my my act more together than anybody else does to try to impress you. Because you know what? Because God sees it all anyway. And it doesn't matter if I hoodwink a whole crowd full of people. God's still going to. But you understand this that that you can act that 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 when it flows out of your heart, that if you're pure. If you if you've got a pure mind about things, then then you see the best. And this is what I'm saying is that you know the Bible says that love believes the best. Love believes the best. Period. No matter what somebody does, and I'm gonna be honest with you, this is where I'm talking about. I'm not worried about impressing you. This is one of the things. I it takes work for me to do that. It takes effort. That doesn't come natural to me for me to, of my flesh just to believe the best. I have to put forth effort to do that. Okay. But you understand that as I put the Word to work in my life and I realize that's the standard set by God's Word and I'm hiding His Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him, then you realize when your mind and your conscience and really, let's say, your attitude becomes pure, then things are pure to you. But you realize, you realize this. It says, but, to, but let's just go ahead back there and read that again. It says, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. Have you ever met anybody? It's like the joke. I remember. How many of y'all remember the jokes? I know you did when you were in elementary school. Little Johnny, the little dirty-minded Johnny. That no matter what anybody said, no matter what a picture was, little Johnny could look at it and everything was something smutty and something ugly. There's always some vulgar little sexual connotation. Yeah, little Johnny this, little Johnny that. Huh? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all know that there can be some people that can take... How many of y'all know what a war shot test is? The ink blot test. And it's purely subjective. You know, you look at it, and every person in this room, we could look at the, we could look at the same slide, and, and there's a potential for every one of us to see something different. 
But you understand that life is like that war shot test, and if you are defiled in your heart and your attitude is wrong, every time you see the war shot card, guess what? It's going to be something bad. It doesn't even matter if it looks like a, if it looks like a big heart shape. You know, you're, <laughs> if it looks like a heart shape, somebody's going to say, it looks like a behind that somebody's getting ready to kick. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? Is your attitude somebody came in, you know, big round, okay. You understand what I'm saying? Is that, why? And why? And you could show them thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. It's like if somebody blessed you with a, with a new car and the tires are bald, you complain about it. Somebody blessed you with a car and the tires are bald, I, you, you complain about it. Wait a minute. Somebody gave you a car and you're going to complain because you got to go out and spend a few hundred dollars on some tires? You know? Someone gives you, I don't know, someone gives you a gun as a gift and you go, man, they done shot this thing. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? There's somebody can do something good for you, but you don't ever see the good because the the, the disposition, because you're def- you've let something defile you on the inside, and it's affected your attitude that no matter what happens, you're not going to see roses and sunshine. You're going to see dirt and manure. Right? How many of y'all know it takes dirt and manure to grow roses? Right? It takes flower, it takes sunshine and rain and dirt and some fertilizer makes the. But all you see is the, if all you see is the dirt and manures, you're never going to enjoy the roses. Right? And so you understand that if if everything in life, if you, if our attitude is, and don't get me wrong, I told Pastor Shine who we were talking about this morning, who we were talking about, I was going over some notes. You understand, everybody, you're going to have, you know, every all of us are subject to ups and downs. Now I will say this. That as we mature in Christ, the uh, the wavelength ought not be as high. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever see pictures of wavelength of a radio frequency, the ups and downs? Okay, as you mature in Christ, the wavelength ought to be starting getting smaller, and the frequency ought to be getting less and less. Why? Because as you grow and you mature spiritually, you're not you're not going to let outside factors affect you as much. As you become mature in the Word. You're led more by the Spirit and by the Word than you are outside factors. Well, as Brother Hagin, Sister Aretha told him one time, said, Brother Hagin, he absolutely, he trained himself where he absolutely would not worry, would not allow himself to worry or fret about anything. And his wife told him one time, said, said, Kenneth, I just believe if me and the kids all fell over dead right here on the porch, you wouldn't even worry. And he just, that quick, he responded, he said, well, Lord, no, what would be the use of worrying then? You're already dead. You say, well, that just sounds calloused and... And you just sound like a, and nobody can get to that. Oh yes, you can. You can get there. You can get to the point to where you are led more by your spirit than outside influences. Was Jesus that way? Huh? You talk about was Jesus that way? I'm gonna tell you what. You take me and you spit in my face. You better hope I'm tied down or something, huh? And you think about it, here's Jesus, the Word, the Son of God, and when they're crucifying him. They're hitting him in the face. They're making fun of him. And they're hawking him right in his face. And you realize all he had had done was said, Enough. Here comes the angels. The earth stops. You're all dead and in hell. Everybody. Enough of this mess. But you realize Jesus, what he knew his assignment. And, and what did Paul say? You remember Paul was over in 2 Corinthians. Paul was talking about all the things that he'd experienced in his life. And you want to talk about something? If you you think that we've had reason to get all bent out of shape about stuff and feel like, well, God just hung me out to try. God didn't do this. God didn't do that. Here's a man that who was very successful, and he, he went to the best school for his uh, religion that he was educated in. 
He applied himself. He was he is valedictorian of the school of Gamaliel. He uh, he exceeded all his peers. He did all this, and then Jesus messed his life up. Appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Said, "Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you persecuting me?" He's persecuting the church, but you realize when he's persecuting the church, he is persecuting the Lord Jesus. Okay? And you understand this? Paul, he, in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on, he's talking about, man, he goes, I've been beat, I've been stoned to death. And he wasn't talking about sucking on a joint either when he's talking about getting stoned. He's talking about everybody in the village come out and, you know, have a rock concert with you. Okay? He was stoned and left for dead. He'd been beaten. He'd fought the wild beasts at Ephesus. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been put in jail so many times he couldn't uh, remember. And guess what? And then Paul, he goes on to say, he's talking about all the things that he suffered for Christ. And he said, and you know what? None of these things move me. None of them move me. So, oh, but pastor, he was the Apostle Paul. You realize he was born of the same Spirit that you're born of. He was filled with the same Holy Spirit that you're filled with. Just he gave himself to it a lot more. Oh, pastor, I ain't got time to do stuff like that. I got to do important stuff. Really. You got more important stuff to do than cultivate your relationship with God and cultivate spiritual growth. Because guess what, honey? Every one of us sitting in here are, are less than 50 years from being old. The youngest one in this room, you're within 50 years of being old. And guess what? When you get old and you quit that job, ain't nobody going to remember you. Ain't nobody going to care. And what you did ain't going to amount to a hill of beans. And all that stuff that you invested all that time. And I'm not saying that you don't need to work. I'm just saying you need to work and have it in perspective. Okay? Do your work. Work heartily as unto the Lord. But realize, put things in the right perspective. Okay? And, it, and, and take seriously cultivating your spirit man. You can get to that point. You can get to the point where none of these things move me. Where, where the devil can throw you the best fastball he's got. And it might look like you struck out, but you're not going to be moved by it because you because you have cultivated your spirit and because you're walking by your spirit and you're walking by the Word, not by the circumstances. You understand circumstances can change. Money problems, dear Jesus. Pastor Earl shared with us a testimony. His church, $60,000 in the hole. $60,000 in the hole. Didn't, didn't let on, cast the care on the Lord, kept, kept pressing on, walked by His Spirit, walked by what the Word say, what's the Spirit say, keep walking by. And you know what? That circumstance, it hung around for a long time. $60,000 in the hole. $60,000 in the hole. Behind on your rent, behind on your mortgage, behind on this and that and the other. And this is the thing, you know, he, you understand this? How quick can those circumstances change? You realize that went on for months. It drug out for months. And then how quick could the circumstance change? One check, $120,000. Goodbye, circumstance. Goodbye, lack. Hello, abundance. But you understand you can't live your life, you can't let your attitude be based on the circumstances because the circumstances are subject to change. Circumstances are subject to change. And you understand this, is that, hey, it might look like the whole bottom fell out of it. And this is what you need to understand, is the time you've spent and you've invested in 
feeding yourself in the Word and the time you've spent praying in the Holy Ghost and building up your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost, getting in the Word, making sure your spirit man is strong, and then when the circumstances come, if it looks like the whole bottom falls out of you, you know, you go, praise God, I'm just going to keep on doing what I know the Word says to keep on doing, and praise God, God's going to turn the circumstances. But you're, I promise you, you will miss it if when circumstances come, you fall all the, the, the wheels fall off the bus and you come all to pieces. And that's going to be an indicator that you didn't make preparation. That you, that you didn't prepare. And that, and that your attitude is wrong. You understand this? <clears throat> a pessimistic person, remember we said pessimism was an inclination to emphasize adverse aspects, conditions, and possibilities, or to expect the worst possible outcome. Have you ever met some? Have you ever met someone like that? The worst, no matter what the circumstances are, worst, their, their mind automatically jumps to worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. I remember it was so funny that movie, that movie *Kindergarten Cop*. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, "Oh, I got a headache," and the kid goes, "Maybe it's a tumor." He goes, "Ah, it's not a tumor." Remember that? I mean, it's one of the best lines of that movie. It's not a tumor, huh? But you know, you, you meet someone, you know, just you know, they autom- their mind, their mind is just automatically go to the worst case scenario. The absolute, how bad can it turn out? And then that's where you go, and you let yourself linger on it. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but you know, you, know, as you can have it as you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth, you can have it. The world calls it a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, my, say, my, my thing is about the world finding that out is, is that even the blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. That even un, that spiritually dead people can discover a spiritual truth every once in a while. The spiritual truth is, you know, you, when you need to check yourself. A pessimist, you realize this, a pessimist is someone that does not have a revelation that God's blessed them. If you are pessimistic and you find yourself living perpetually pessimistic, you don't have a revelation that God's blessed you. Amen? Can I just talk plain this morning? You understand this? I'm, I'm telling you this out of love. Because, it, and it can be, and it can be, you understand, it can be in, in specific areas. I've met some people, man, that they were the eternal optimist and solid on the Word about healing. Now, you understand this, healing's for everybody. God don't say, God, God don't go, eat him, any money, mo. Catch a healing by the toe. God don't do that. Healing's for everybody. But you understand that some people are stronger than, in some areas naturally than others, and some people have to work at other stuff. Isn't it that way in the natural? Isn't that way in the natural? Well, it's that way in the spirit too. Something, and some people, they might, have, uh, might be strong, and they might be optimistic about grabbing a healing. Man, they can get healed, man, like that. Huh? But then when it comes to finances, they don't have any faith or any optimism at all about that. They start getting a symptom in their body, and man, they're optimistic. I mean, praise God, by His stripes I'm healed. Glory to God, He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord God that heals. Amen. You know, he redeemed, I'm redeemed from the curse. You know, He hung on the tree. The stripes on His back. I, by the stripes on His back, I'm healed. Amen. Jesus, you know, everybody came to Him. Uh, he, and he, they said, Lord, if it's Your will, You can heal me. And He said, It's my will. Be Thou cleansed. Be healed. Every, every place in the Scripture. And someone can be strong about that, but then they can't believe God. They can't believe God for two cents. They can't believe God for a cup of coffee. Why? Because they don't have faith in that area. And you realize this, if you don't have faith in a particular area, it can either indicate, one, you've never been taught that, because faith comes by hearing, right? Huh? How many of y'all, before you got filled with the Holy Ghost, you never heard anybody teach? The church I grew up in, they didn't taught, teach anything about getting filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. Are you crazy? If they did, they said, that's of the devil. I like what my pastor in Huntington said. He said, you know what? He said, I wasn't always a Christian, 
And I went to a bar, and you'd think if, if speaking in tongues was of the devil, you'd think that it happened at a bar. He said, but you know what? I never went to a bar and heard anybody ever stayed up and go, Thus saith the Lord, and just start ripping off in tongues in a bar. But you understand it is that is that the that you have that you have to if you've not had faith for something you've either not been taught, or now the, and you understand that's not any fault of yours. Now you understand that doesn't keep you from reaping the the, the harvest of ignorance. You know you've heard the saying ignorance of the laws uh, no excuse. Okay, well you can be ignorant of something. One reason you may not have faith for something is because you've never been taught. Other reason you might not have faith for something, this is the one where people want to start throwing cabbage and rotten tomatoes at the preacher, is you've been taught and you've rejected it as truth. And that's the only two ways. That is the only two ways you don't have faith is one, you've never been taught and you've never been cultivated, you've never been taught the word and, and had it cultivated, or you've been taught and you just flat reject it. Or, and you understand this is a type of rejection saying, yeah, I know that's the truth, but I'm just not going to do it. That's really the only way that it comes. And so, you, and so you realize this, is that, uh, that pessimism, if you're pessimistic in an area, and you understand this, pe- remember this pessimism, incl- inclined to emphasize adverse aspects and expect the worst possible income, uh, outcome. If you're pessimistic about something, you're just, you're just telling off on the fact that you don't have faith in that area. But you understand, that's, this ain't the beatdown. This ain't the beatdown. Do you understand that when you identify the source of the problem, too many believers, man, Pastor Cheyenne said this morning, and it was good, man, it was good. i got to find it. I, I, I said, man, that's good, darling. You need to write that down. <clears throat> Just because you identify the source doesn't give you an excuse to stay there. It's a place to start working with the Word. I'm going to say that again. Just because you identify the source, it doesn't give you an excuse to stay there. It just gives you a starting place to start working with the Word. Just like that example I told you about the, the dead pigs in, in the spring, they could have just walked up there. How much sense would it have made if they walked up there and went, Hey, man, I know why everybody's getting sick. Look at them dead pigs down there. Man, look at that thing. My ball's about to pop. They're about to, that, that thing's ripe, man. Woo! Well, let's go on back down to the village and let everybody keep drinking out of the, out of the water. I'm thirsty. How much sense does that make? It wouldn't make any, would it? You understand this as a believer and in your life and in our walk with the Lord, you realize that we that like I said, your attitude is the biggest is is the most is probably one of the most determining factors in what you're going to have in life and the amount of success you're going to have, even in living for the Lord. Because that you realize that you can put yourself on a real short chain having a real bad attitude. And it's not God limiting you, and it's not God holding you back, but it's because your attitude, because of what you, the attitude and the outlook that you've chosen to have will, will limit you. This is the thing, when you find the source, when you find the little inner child, the problem with the little, the, your inner child, amen, whoopee's tail, amen, amen. When you find out the source of the problem, okay, don't say, oh, there's the source, that's the reason I'm that way. And that's what too many people do. We're re- you know, we can pray and, and we can identify the source and you go, oh, you know what, I found out what the source of my problems have been for all these years. It's been this. My daddy didn't hold me long enough. You know, my brother got more pizza than I got. Somebody dropped me when I was a baby. All right, Mephibosheth, somebody dropped you when you was a baby get back up and have dinner at the king's table because that's the place he's made for you. 
It's not, it, it's not right. It is not right. And, and I'll be honest with you, myself and Pastor Cheyenne both, and, and I won't just say this, I will say this, I will say anybody who has overcome adversity in their life, I mean great adversity in their life, and they've overcome it, that they can sympathize with people who have went through great adversity, but they have a real low tolerance for people just whining and rolling around in it. I'll be real honest with you. I am sorry that somebody abused you when you were young, that your life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to be when you were young. But you know what? You need to suck it up and you need to get over it. Because you, you go, what are you going to do? You're going to throw the rest of your life right straight down the toilet because of something that happened to you when you were a kid or a teenager? And I'm not going to get, and I'm not going to give you any sympathy, and I'm not going to feel sorry for you that because I'm going to tell you what, because God loves you too much. God don't give you no sympathy, huh? God will tell you, stand up and dust yourself off and act like the royalty that I've made you. You're bigger than this, and I know what I've put in you is bigger than that. Then you need to change your attitude, and you need to realize that you can whoop it. What's this mess? How many more decades after decade after decade of your life are you going to throw away over a problem that somebody did to you that they can't even remember the thing that you're holding against them that they did against you years ago and it's derailed you, it's affected you in every relationship you've had, it's affected you on every job you've had, it's affected you in every endeavor you've ever did in your life and everything you've put your hand to because you let something that happened decades ago affect your attitude and it's absolutely sabotaged your whole life up to this point. Up to this point. God has got stuff for you to do, and your assignment is bigger than what you can imagine, but you cannot do it if your attitude is bad. You understand this, that, that pessimism and faith are absolutely incompatible. I'm going to say it just as absolutely as plain as I can. You are not in faith about anything that you're pessimistic about. You're not. You're not. You understand this, is that... This, this is going back to, to Hebrews where it talks about now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You understand that word hope? It means a confident expectation. What did we say about pessimism? Pessimism is expecting the worst case scenario. It's expecting something bad or expecting the worst case scenario. You show me a pessimistic person and I'll show you a person that's not in faith. You're not pessimistic, at least not in that subject. And don't waste your time trying to argue with me and tell me, oh, yes, I am, oh, yes, I am. No, you're not. Because, because this is the thing. Your pessimistic means your hope, your expectation, your hope is for something bad. Okay? You have, you have a faith because you understand faith is simply what you believe. When the Bible talks about faith and the Bible talks about belief, it's talking about in the context of faith in God's Word and belief in God's Word. Oh, you got it. You're, you're a faith person, all right, but it's not faith in God's Word. Because faith in God's Word, faith is the foundation upon which expectation is built. And God's Word promises good. Huh? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you to give you a hope, a future and a hope. Don't you tell, don't you tell me that, you know, you, you got this hee-haw religion. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oh, doom, despair, and agony on me. You ain't, ta- you ain't talking the same language that God's talking. You ain't talking Jesus talk. Because that's not that's not the word. You understand? You understand this? That pessimism and faith are incompatible. I, and this thing, and a lot of times you say, "Oh, pastor, you give a lot of definitions." I do because I want you to realize what the word is. A lot of times we throw words around, and we don't know what it means. Incompatible, incapable of being held by uh, one person at one time. You cannot hold faith and pessimism at the same time. 
sort of like that example of a glass. You know, we see if we see a glass sitting on a counter and there and there's nothing in it, we think there's we think that it's empty, but it's not empty. It's got air in it. When you pour water in, the water displaces the air and pushes the air out of the cup. Huh? Here's a little science for you. And understand, Pastor's not a science major, but understand this: no two pieces of matter can occupy the same space at the same time. Anybody remember that? So you understand this. Faith and pessimism cannot be occupied in the same vessel at the same time. One will displace the other. If you're in faith, it displaces pessimism. If you're pessimistic, it's going to displace your faith. Amen? You understand? In- incompatible. Here's another definition. Uh, incapable of association or harmonious coexistence. Unsuitable for use together because of undesirable reactions. Incompatible. Pessimism and faith. Amen? You understand this. Your attitude is the fruit of what you believe. Your attitude is the fruit of your faith. Um, your attitude can be influenced, and here's, here's a list of things that can influence your attitude. Your environment, your past experiences, your self-image, your peers and associations, your beliefs and your choices. Amen? Pastor, I'm just going, I'm going to teach you a little bit, and so we're going to talk. You understand this? Your attitude this is why it's so important you realize your attitude can limit god oh pastor god can do anything god can do anything god can do anything god wants to because he's god i'm going to turn to psalms chapter 78 god will always do his word but god will only do his word in the lives of people who cooperate with him if god's going to do anything on earth remember this is a this is a this is a theological understanding that you have to have and you have to have it settled and it will keep you from getting into a lot of misinterpretation of the bible god will not do anything on the earth without the cooperation of man amen when he needed to deliver a nation he had a moses when he needed to rebuild the ball, the, the walls of a city he had a nehemiah when he needed to rebuild a temple he had an ezra when he needed to redeem the human race, he had the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You understand this? God needs the cooperation of man. Psalms 78, verse 40. I'm going to start reading verse 40. How often they rebelled. This is a psalm talking about Israel and their rebellion against God after, even after he brought them out of Egypt. This, this psalm talks about how he parted the Red Sea, how he provided food for them, he met their needs, he brought them out with his mighty hand. And verse 40 says, How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Verse 41, And again and again they limited God and pained, uh, limited the Holy One of Israel. Amen? Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You understand that you can limit God. There are, there are things that your, that your disposition... God can have the greatest plans for you in the world, and He does. For each and every one of us. God doesn't have any better plans. God knows exactly what will fulfill Jimmy Ruby and make him the most happy and fulfilled in his life that there is. And you know what? What might be fulfilling for him might not do anything for someone else in this room, but it is for him. And don't you think that God's designed him for the purpose and what he's got planned for him and what God, the call that God's got on his life and for him to do? And he knows that'll make him happy. But you know what? That's God's plan for each and every one of us. I've said this before. It's another one of those little phrases that I say that just shocks people. Oh, but I believe God loves everyone, Pastor. He wouldn't say, you know, God, God does love everybody. You realize everybody that's, that isn't, torments in the flame of hell right now god loves them and god and you understand that love means he that i did only that which was to your good god said yeah you understand they're there because of their choice not because of god's 
And even though they have been separated, God's heart, I believe God's heart is, is grieved and broken every time someone dies. The Bible says God takes no delight in the, in the death of the wicked. You know, you like you watch those revenge movies, you know, where the bad guy does something, does the bad guy wrong, maybe, you know, burns his house down and shoots his dog and steals his cattle or something at the end of the movie. And you're like, man, I can't wait till they catch that sucker and they stretch his neck at the end of the movie or the good guy just pops a cap on him. Now those are, you know that, and we get some kind of gratification from watching that when the bad guy gets it. You know, God, God takes no delight in that. It grieves his heart. Why? Because God, in his mind, God's saying, man, I knew the plans I had for him. I knew the ministry that I called him to. I, <clears throat> I've said this before, and it shocks people. Adolf Hitler, I think we could probably all agree Hitler's probably roasted in hell right now. But you know what? It didn't give God any pleasure at all because God, I, I just believe that God's thinking, man, I, I knew what I had planned for him. I know the beautiful thing that his life could have been. You think about that. A man that could persuade an entire nation to go to war against the world. The influence that he had. What if he had used that influence for God? Man, you talk about a revival. They'd been revival breaking out over Europe instead of war. If God could have had someone that, that God that had that kind of influence and sway over men. But guess what? He limited what God could do in his life. Why? One of the things is because of his choices. It was choices. Amen? So Psalm 78, 41 says, The children of Israel limited God. Hebrews, you understand this? Hebrews chapter 3. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. You understand that the Old Testament's given to us as a schoolmaster. Amen? And you can't say it's laziness to say, Well, I just don't need to read the, the Old Testament because I'm part of a New Testament church. You're ignorant. You need to read the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 says, For those who provoked him when they heard, indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with, and with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You understand this? Moses' entire generation could not enter into God's rest. They could not enter into the promised land because of their attitude toward God. And you understand this? And we have fooled ourselves. We have, we have really fooled ourselves. Where does it say in the Bible that God, that, that that God will, will tolerate your disbelief and disobedience to Him? That's a load of junk. But that's what we've been taught. That's what grace means. That's what greasy grace means. God loves you so much that He'll just put up with your ignorance and your, and your flat-out rebellion and disbelief all your life because you know He loves you, darling. You're His little coochie-coo, His little darling poo. Yeah, God loves you. You understand this? And when Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God? Can this, can that, can you, can hardship, can this, can this? No, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. But you need to understand this. You're not going to walk in God's blessings, especially God will, God will be gracious and merciful and merciful. But there's going to be a, come a time, amen, and some of y'all heard me, how many of y'all heard the poem, Footprints in the Sand? And you've heard me, I printed it off one time, read it last year, Buttprints in the Sand. There's a little play off of that poem where God said, you know, the guy was walking down the beach of his life and looking around and saying, God, what are these little funny little tracks right here? I don't recognize them. And God said, you know, that was when I just I placed you on your butt in the sand because I got tired of carrying you. Because God don't mind carrying babies. And God will carry babies. But you know what? There's a time when God says, you know what? You've had so much of the Word poured into you. You've, had so, you've got so much knowledge. It's time for you to put up or shut up. Because I'm done with you. I'm done with you till you do what I tell you to do. Cheyenne had a, has a friend out in Oklahoma. Went to Rhema, graduated us 10 years ago. Knows that God called her to the mission field. Knows, what, knows exactly what country. 
God called her to. And she's not doing it. And her life is miserable. Absolutely miserable. And she, and she told Shine, she goes, well, I pray and I ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And Pastor Shine's like, and, and she goes, and I just don't feel like God talks to me. And, Shine, and Pastor Shine says, why would he? You're not, you're not being obedient. You're not doing what he told you to do. You understand God's not obligated to tell you anything new till you do what he told you to do. He, does that mean he doesn't love you? No, darling, he loves you. But it's just going to be like, talk to the hand. You already know. You already know what to do. I already talked to you about this. I already told you to deal with this issue. Don't come to me asking me, Oh, God, why aren't you working my finances? Oh, God, why aren't you working my health? Oh, God, why aren't you doing this? Oh, God, why aren't you... God's like, why aren't you doing? Because blessing blessing follows the obedience. God's like, don't come to me. Don't talk to me. Don't you bring no accusation against me. I've done spoke to you about something. And, and I use this example. I was talking with someone. You know, so many of us are opposed. How many of y'all have ever seen the game Tetris? You know, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You know, and you turn the little pieces, a little Russian game, and you turn the little pieces, and it's like a puzzle. And if you've ever played it or ever seen it played, you see the screen starts filling up, and you've got all these pieces dropping down, and you're trying to move the pieces and put them in the right place. And if you're not good at it, all the screen starts filling up. And you got all this junk all piled up on the screen, and the music's playing faster and faster and faster, and trying to get you to panic and getting you know, let, letting you know you're getting ready to lose, you're getting ready to blow it. Oh, you better hurry up! And you got all this stuff going on, and all this junk piling up, and that's a lot like some of our lives. We got all this junk piling up. God, I got it's bad in this part of my life. God, it's bad in this part of my life. God, this is going. Go, God, I can't. There's not any place in my life that I can find any peace and any satisfaction. What's going on? It's all piling up. And God's just like, it's that one thing I talk to you about. Don't talk to me no more. Mm-mm. You know what it is. Don't come to me and act like you don't know what it is. How many times have I sent someone to talk to you about that and about that and about that and, about that and you ain't doing nothing about it? How many times have I spoken to you by my spirit and you've even told people, God told me to do this. Have you done it? Nope. Dun, 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 and all the stuff stacking up, stacking up, stacking up, stacking up. And then guess what? You've played it, and here it goes. Here comes that one piece. You go, turning it. And the one piece is that thing that God spoke to you about. That one piece is that thing God spoke to you about. And you get that one piece, and when you finally say, I'm going to do it, God. I am going to, I am going to address that issue, Lord. Click. You drop it down in there, and then guess what? And then when you get that one thing adjusted... And it gets dropped in its right place. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. You played Tetris. You get that one piece turned in the right orientation. And remember, an attitude is an orientation towards something. You get the attitude right on that one thing, drop that piece in its place, and guess what? The whole board gets cleared out. And you get the high score, and you go, woo, you stand up and give yourself high five for doing good on a video game, right? You understand? It's that one piece. <clears throat> understand this. You can find out what someone's attitude is. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world to find out someone's attitude. How do we find out their attitude? You sit around and let them beat their gums for a while. Right? You, can, you know you can tell if someone's in faith. You can tell where someone's at in their faith. You can tell what someone's attitude. You can tell so much about people by just shutting your mouth and listening to them. Amen? Why? Because the Bible says Luke 6, uh, 43 through 45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good man out of, the, uh, out of the treasures of heart brings forth good things, and the evil man brings forth evil things. Do you know that God, how many of us can concede that God looks at things a whole lot different than what we do? Because when we think evil, we're thinking 
Murder. When we think evil, we're thinking, you know, horrible things. To us, you know, if we've got, we've got, you know, what's a criteria for something to be evil? Amen. You understand? God's got a different criteria for that. Amen. Hebrews chapter three. You're there in Hebrews chapter four or Hebrews three. Go ahead and look back over Hebrews verse twelve. It says, "Take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God." God calls an unbelieving heart evil. That's one of the things I like about God. God doesn't. God doesn't see gray area. It's black and it's white with God. Man is where, when we start trying to explain stuff away and make excuses and stuff, you understand gray area is, this is gray area. This is the first example of gray area in the whole Bible. Oh, God, the woman you gave me. Some of y'all get this. This is the first example of gray Because God is black and white. God's like, don't eat it, you live, eat it, you die. You eat it? Yeah, but God, the woman you gave me. Excuses. Gray area is created by excuses. Oh, yeah, God, I ate it, but it was her fault. The woman you gave me. So really, God, it's not even her fault. It's your fault for giving me the woman. Do you ever think about that? Adam was really blaming God. He wasn't even blaming his wife. He was blaming God. Do people still do that today? Yeah. We make a mistake. We do something that's wrong. We've got a wrong attitude. We've got a wrong outlook. Oh, God, it's your fault. Oh, most of us, you know, we ain't got the guts to back it up, but we're going to blame it on the certain, we're going to blame it to, on something that God's led us into or we say that God called us to do. I could grumble. I could, I've had wonderful opportunities to grumble. And I'll be honest, I've had times I did grumble. I had to quickly repent. Man, I, we come down here and this, that, and the other. This circumstance arose. This has happened. Man, I just can't believe this. And I'm really, I'm not complaining against circumstance. I'm complaining against God because if I believe He's the one that's called me to be at this place, then I'm here at His call, right? Amen? You understand this? Is the, the, the gray area or is, is the excuses that we make, uh, we begin to make for why we're not in black or white. The woman you gave me, God, it's really your fault. Understand this. Numbers 13.32. You don't have to turn there, but you can just write this down. What does God consider evil? Unbelief and disbelief. Numbers 13.32 is when they had sent the 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan. And they went out and they spied it out. And remember, the whole time God told them, there's an inheritance I have for you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a good land. I'm going to give you houses to live in that you didn't build. I'm going to give you vineyards to reap from and drink the fruit of that you didn't plant. I'm going to bless you. I've said that it's yours. And you just got to believe me and go in and take possession of it. And guess what? They came back. Joshua and Caleb were like, Woo, it's good. All that the Lord said it was. Let's go get it, boys. And the other ten were like, Yeah, it's good, but... But, amen, some of you need to cover your butt because you're ruining your life with your butts. But this, but that, but this, but that, but this. Get the butt out. There's no but. When God says, you understand this, God does love you, but God's, not, God, God's love will not cover our direct disobedience to His Word. And, and we're talking about your attitude. You understand that it says that that verse says that the spies returned and that they gave an evil report. The King James, King James Version says uh, they gave the, ch- the children of Israel that word for it says bad. It says, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying the land through which we've gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were in great stature. That word that's translated bad in the New King James, it's in the King James Version, it says an evil report. Why was it evil? Because it's contrary to what God's Word said. That, you understand that's God's criteria for what is a sin and what's evil, is what's con- if, it, if it is contrary to His Word. 
real quick, I'm going to touch base with some stuff with you, with you on this. Okay? You need to understand this, that if you have an expectation that things are going to, of how things are going to happen and play out to be the worst case scenario, you're not in faith toward God. Amen. God's word is, the, I've mentioned Jeremiah 9 11, verse, uh, Psalms 23. Huh? How many of us read that? I always thought that was so funny that people would read that at funerals. Because that is not a funeral dirge. Psalm 20. So go ahead and turn there real quick. Psalm 23. And I'm going to be reading now the New American Standard Version. Yours may be a little bit different. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you realize that what he's saying there? I shall not be in lack. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my provider. He is over me. He directs me. He guides me. I'll not suffer any lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside still waters. God's going to make provision for me. God makes provision. Verse 3, He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Amen? We go, oh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's their dead body. No, this is written by a man who says, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even though it looks like circumstances are bad, even though it looks like I've got a right for my attitude and my disposition to be lousy because things don't look good, I'm not going to fear any evil. What's evil? Anything that's contrary to God's Word and contrary to what God has said about the situation. I'm not going to fear any evil. I'm going to make sure that my attitude and my disposition's good. If I get toward the end of the month and I've got more bills than I've got paycheck, all I know is if I'm honoring God with the first fruits of my, of my increase and I'm tithing up God's work, God's not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent and have to change what He said. He said that if we'll honor Him, He will rebuke the devourer and He will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that there's not room to contain. It doesn't matter if there's sickness in your body. Amen. The death, they ought to, if you've got symptoms of something and, and, and it's coming on you, and this is the thing, they ought to be able to tie you to a stump and beat you with a horse whip all day long before you'll say, I got it. My diagnosis is, your diagnosis is you're healed. Your diagnosis is by the stripes on Jesus' back. And I'm not talking about semantics, and this ain't to crush anyone down, but you need to realize the power of your words. And it's not that you pretend like if the doctor says, well, you've got this problem in your neck where a pecan branch about smacked your melon off your head. That doesn't mean that you just deny that it happened. But you take, you say, okay, that was a fact, and that's what happened, but there's a difference between facts and truth. The fact is, you got hit in the head with a tree limb and you've got some injuries going, stuff that's been displaced. But the truth is, is that God is the healer. Amen? And so when you, when you got the symptoms flaring up, you ought, what ought to be coming out of it, because this is the thing you realize, I've said this before, when you squeeze a sponge, whatever's in it comes out. When the pressure's on, if you soak a sponge in vinegar, guess what? When you squeeze it, lemonade ain't coming out. Maple syrup ain't coming out. If whatever's coming out of it, when the pressure's on, that's what's been, what it's been immersed in. And so when sickness and when symptoms come on, don't give in to the evil report. What's the Word say? What's the Word say about it? The Word says, I'm healed. The Word says that when they tied Jesus to a post and they beat Him with a whip, it was so that I could get some healing. Amen? And it doesn't matter what the symptoms are, I'm not going to confess up and say, it's mine, and I'm going to fight it tooth and nail. 
doesn't matter. You wake up in the morning with symptoms, praise God by noon, I'll be better. If you got them at noon, praise God by dinner, I'll be better. If you got them at dinner, praise God when I go to bed, I'm believing God I'm going to be better. If you go to bed with symptoms, bless the Lord when I wake up in the morning, the symptoms are going to be gone. I'm standing on the Word. I'm feeding myself the Word. I'm going to find, you know, I'm not going to go to WebMD and find out what, you know, I've got this. What's this a symptom of? And find out all the lies that the devil can tell you. Because this is the thing, darling. You can have, you can, uh, you, you can have eye strain. Because you watch too much TV or sat too close to the computer or played too much video games and you get on WebMD and tell them your symptoms and they'll have you talk into the, you got a brain tumor. You need to go to the hospital now before your head just explodes. Get in the Word and find out what the Word says and let your attitude be based on what the Word of God says. Amen? Praise God. <clears throat> so your attitude, it'll affect things in your life. Amen? You understand this? Your, that your environment and your experiences can shape your attitude. That's your socialization. You need to realize the children of Israel, they had been slaves in a pagan society for centuries. And then God called them out. Amen? He called them out. And you need to understand this, is that your, your environment can affect your, your attitudes. Your, your environment, your history, the type of home you grew up in. I've shared this before. Pastor Cheyenne at her house, sitting around the dinner table, they just raised their voices so they could be heard at her house. Nobody got nervous. Nobody started looking toward the door. In my house, if the voices got raised, it's time to run. Huh? How many of y'all know? Different environment. And it can condition you different. But you need to realize, amen, that as a believer, this is the thing. Just because you can identify the source of the problem doesn't give you a right to stay with it. Amen? Your self-image. Your self-image contributes to your attitude. Amen? Numbers 13.33, when the children of Israel wouldn't go in, they said, we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. You need to stop thinking about uh, what did some, what did your mean uncle uh, uh, Lou say about you when you was a kid. What did mean old Aunt Betty say about you when you was a kid? What, what, what about, so what if your daddy told you you was ugly and you'd never get a decent man to marry you? That's a lie from the pit of hell and you're going to let something that some, someone, someone cursed you and spoke over you when you were a child ruin the rest of your life and, and make you sabotage relationship after relationship and affect your marriage today. God brought a good godly spouse into your life and because of some junk somebody spoke to you 30 years ago, you're going to let it hinder you from being able to ever walk in the fullness of the love and the blessing of a relationship that God wanted you to have. You need to change your perspective. You need to change your focus. You need to realize this is the thing. Huh? What does God say about you? Abram, I'm old and ain't got no kids. God says you're Abraham and you've got, you've got children of abundance. Huh? What does God say about you, Jacob? You heel-snatching thing. You, you lie, you manipulator. God says you're Israel, Prince of God. What does God, you need to understand that you gotta make a decision. What are you gonna let have the most influence in your life? What the world says? What some loser said to you a, a quarter of a century ago? Or what the King of Kings says about you? And you understand, you are the deciding vote. Because the devil's always going to give you an alternative that is opposite of what God says. And you have to decide. You decide. Are you going to believe the lies of the devil? Are you going to believe you can eat the fruit and you'll not die? Or are you going to believe you eat the fruit and you, and you die? Are you going to believe that if I'm obedient to the Word of the King, it's going to produce life and health in my life? In every area of it. Another thing. Your peers and your associations. Amen? Your peers and your associations. I'm just going to tell you, some of you, there are friendships and relationships you've had for years you need to cut them off. 
cut it off and leave it alone. Oh, but we've been friends for years. Yeah, and they bring you down every time you're around them. Every time you try to stand in faith, they're kicking the props out from underneath you. Every time you're trying to believe God for a healing, they're telling you, oh, but I, I noticed you limping. Do you got, is your hip dislocated? What's going on? And you're standing in faith. And every time you get around, you're believing God. You're going to live a life that honors God. And every time they get around you, they want to drag you down in their mess. You need to cut it off. Don't say, well, I'm going to hang around and I'm going to get them right. You ain't going to get them right until you're strong. And this is the thing. Some of the relationships, you just need to cut it off and, and pray for God to send laborers across their path because at the time, you ain't fit to do it. And you need to get on. And this is the thing. How many of you all know that if, you, if, someone, if a lifeguard swims out to rescue someone that's drowning... If the person that's drowning is fighting them tooth and nail, they're going to have, they're going to be fishing two bodies out of the water. Okay? And you just need to realize there's some, there's some relationships, you just need to cut them clean and pray for God and just get away from it. Get away from it because this is the thing. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Amen? You understand? Oh, I thought, but pastor, how are we going to win the world? You can't. You go, you go win somebody else's world and let somebody else come win them. Sometimes you just need to cut it off. Sometimes you need to break the relationship. Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Care to finish the rest of that out? Bet you can figure it out. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You need to pick your associations carefully. Huh? You know that some of you we got some of us we got family you just like the jettison, but guess what? You you born with them, right? But your friends you pick. Right? You pick who is going to be your friends. You are selective. You exercise selectivity when you pick your friends. Some of us you just need to realize I need to sever that relationship, I need to go on because why? Because your peers and your associates associations will affect your attitude. Amen? Beliefs. <clears throat> your beliefs affect your attitude. Proverbs 23, 7. How you believe in your heart will determine how you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. What you think about yourself, it doesn't matter what your spouse tells you. It doesn't matter what your children tell you. It don't make two flips of nothing what your pastor tells you if you don't believe it. Because I, I am tired of having you, you, you counsel people. You'll pour your life into them. You'll talk to them for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to reassure them. You'll give them a, book, a notebook full of Scripture to go home and read and meditate on. And then they go home and they're going to think what they want to think. And you can't help that kind of person. You can't. God can't help that kind of person. He just can't do it. Amen? You understand this? The fool says in his heart there is no God. We're talking about beliefs. Foolish person will say, God can do nothing for me. Oh, but they'll go to church. They've got a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. They'll go through the ritual, Sunday morning, happy hallelujah face, yeah, hallelujah, and then go home and say, well, you know, God can't help me with that. God can't help me with that addiction. God can't help me with this. God can't help me control my mouth. God can't help me walk in love. Well, you know, I know our pastor, he, bless his heart, he talks about that healing stuff, but that's just not for me. I, you know what, I know pastor talks about just being faithful to God and God will meet all your needs, but you know what, it's, it's, it just ain't going to work for me. You're right. As long as that's your attitude, it ain't going to work for you. Amen? And this is the thing, finally, the last thing that affects your, your attitude, and understand this, how your attitude impacts your life is, is your choices. You know, your choices can greatly affect your attitude. <clears throat> 
And God has a lot to say to say about that. Amen. You understand Deuteronomy chapter 30 around verse 19, God after he's, he has laid out before the people of Israel. And you understand this, that the, the, the Israel, the Hebrew people, it was a type and shadow of the church. Amen. He laid out all the alternatives for them. He said, over here's good and blessing. Huh? Oh, you'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in your store basket. Pronounce all these blessings. You're going to be blessed in your body. The fruit of your, the fruit of your womb is going to be blessed. And then he said over here, but if you disobey me and you don't keep my word, cursing, 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 cursing upon you because you won't obey the word. And he says, behold, I've put before you this day life and death. Choose life. It's like God gave you a two-question, multiple-choice test that's your final exam and he gave you a cheat sheet. But you understand this. Did Israel choose right? No, a lot of them chose not to, didn't they? Amen. This is the thing, your choices. You need to realize this. Second Corinthians 10.5 says that, that we are to take captive thoughts, any thought and any imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You have to choose to do that. You realize that if you, if you get the thought in your mind, you're a, I'm a loser, I'll never amount to anything. None of my people ever amounted to nothing. My people just a bunch of redneck white trash live up a holler someplace. My people just a bunch of a redneck white trash live out on a ridge someplace. My people just a bunch of flatland Georgia redneck uh, uh, good old boys. My, well, you know, my people, they grew up in the hood. or my people, my people ain't never had nothing. And you convince yourself of that? Then guess what? That's what you're going to have. But if you say, no, 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 no. The Word says something different. And I'm taking that thought captive and I'm locking that thing up and I'm casting it down because I'm not going to let that thought affect my attitude and allow my life to be wrecked because I will not do the maintenance on my attitude. Let's just be honest. I'm going to close it with this. You realize that the responsibility for the maintenance of your attitude, it is not your wife. Husband, if you've got a sorry, just a cruddy attitude, it is not your wife's place to do the maintenance on your attitude. It's yours. Wives, if you've got a sorry attitude, it is not your husband's place to do the, to break out the wrenches and start doing maintenance on you. Now, don't get me wrong. You understand this as, as spouses, if you're married, that you do what you can to encourage one another and you, and you edify one another. But guess what, baby? It is not your spouse's place to carry you around all the time because you want to be a, a big old baby Huey that doesn't want to grow up and doesn't want to do what the Word does and you don't want to check your attitude and start doing the Word. Pastor Cheyenne would, it'd be bad, y'all. Everybody knows her. It'd be bad if I started dumping all that junk on her. And, th and this is the thing. You realize there's too many other things in your life that's high maintenance. This is easy. It requires work. The solution's easy. And it requires work. Just because something neat is easy doesn't mean it's not work. But you've got too many other things in your life that God has called you to. You understand this. You are never going to whoop the, the, the cavalry if you can't hang with the foot soldiers. Amen? This is the thing. Too many believers never move into the place in their life where they are, are actually going out and doing what God has called them to do and what God's already made a provision for you to do until you can get past yourself. You've got to get past yourself. Amen? And, and, and the only way you can do it is the Word. And this is the thing. God knows you can do it. You know who believes in you more than anybody? It ain't your mama. It's God. It's your daddy. It's Abba Father. Amen. That believes in you. So, Amen. Let's just just resolve in your heart. We're going to deal with this attitude thing, and our and our attitude is going to be based on the Word of God. Amen.
Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus.